everyone, so welcome to episode 49 of Teh Tarik with Walid And I am delighted today as I always am when I have these sessions But today bec- I am delighted for a specific reason uh, We have a media giant with us I think I have been fortunate enough I have interviewed three media legends as part of my Teh Tarik series Professor Chiran George Bertha Hansen and PN Balji and today I'm going to interview somebody else who is also a, a media giant he has I think changed the landscape of the media in Singapore and this is uh, Mr uh, Woon Tai Ho and we will talk to him he's a founder of Channel News Asia and he is also a best selling author in the sense that he has helped uh, PN Balji and former foreign minister George Yeo write uh, their biographies so without further ado let me try to invite him and if you guys have any questions in the chat and we will we will address as many as we can hello so this is your first time on instagram live right yes yes okay thank you for doing this i'm very delighted to have you here Thank you so much Taiho for being here and I just wanted to to start with your experience in CNA right and I think Channel News Asia has sort of changed the media landscape in Singapore right so what 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 was your motivation for starting it how did it start and why did you want to uh, start CNA uh it, it, it did not uh, become CNA it, there was no grand plan uh remember it was 1998 and we had the bandwidth at that time uh Lee Chok Yew was the CEO and he told me uh think of something to fill this channel we didn't want to start uh an entertainment channel again we didn't want to do uh what TV12 then had uh, which was uh, kids uh minority uh, language programs and the arts so the only area that did not have a block was uh, news so we explored a little but it was daunting because uh, there was CNN there was BBC there was CNBC uh, not to mention the Japanese and the Chinese channels uh, news channels so uh, it was daunting but uh, the more we explored the more we thought it was feasible because we were small and we used english why small uh, an advantage if the channel was started by china and they call it channel news asia it would be china news asia and not channel right. and if it was indonesia it would also be indonesia news channel and not uh, channel news asia so small we had the advantage of not having our, that much of our own news so that we can actually report on everyone else's uh and also we use english uh, at that time we divided asia into three areas east asia south asia and southeast asia did not start big you know it was actually just a news belt uh but later when we actually landed in china it then became a very big deal for us so there was no it happened by uh, it happened piecemeal and it not happened because of it was a grand plan right 
uh, when we landed in China, like I say, uh, we had more correspondence and that gave us a lot of funding to do the channel and do it well. Did you imagine it would turn out uh, to be what it is today? Did you, could you have ever envisioned this? Uh, no, because uh, in our minds, uh, when we started, uh, we, I, I, I still remember the, the team that was working with me. Uh, we didn't think that it would be big. But when it started doing well, uh, that was five or six years down the road, uh, then we started to think, we started to plan big. Right, right. Thank you so much. I mean, it is. I think it must be satisfying to see CNA turn into what uh, it has turned into today, right? Uh, I guess the elephant in the room is when we talk about the media in Singapore, we, one of the first things we think about is censorship or government intervention and so on, especially when we think about the Straits Times. But I guess Channel News Asia, people don't really have that image of Channel News Asia for some reason. So, did you experience some form of censorship or government intervention? Remember, we are not talking about Channel 5 or Channel 8, Surya or Vasantam, where we dealt with Singapore. When we talk about Channel News Asia, we are dealing with Asia. And honestly, uh, apart from India and uh, possibly Philippines, the rest of Asia were fairly authoritarian where media was not free. So when you talk about censorship, we really talk about um, being sensitive to the of Asia. For instance, uh, I still remember in China, we could not talk about Falun Gong. Right. In the, uh, in the Muslim countries around us, we could not, we have to, we have to walk like we are walking on eggshells because we have to be very sensitive to the, the Muslim neighborhood. I remember one, uh, once, um, it was three years, four years into uh, Channel News Asia, and I think we mistakenly put out something on Palong Kong. Uh, I was summoned to China, and the, the, the channel went black. Wow. And I had to uh, go to China and explain to China, give the context, basically ask for, uh, basically to say sorry. And wow. Yeah, and it was still not put back. It, it was still not put back as a channel only after a few days. So we were subjected to the same kind of scrutiny like CNN and BBC. And we thought that we are Asian uh, country. We would have special uh, privileges. We did not. So honestly, uh, the kind of censorship was real. Wow. So that must have been a real scary experience. Being uh, summoned. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what you get used to because uh, it was not just uh, China, it was uh, Malaysia as well. They, they thought that they could uh, walk all over us because uh, we, were, we are being shown in the country. And if we, are not, if we don't play game, they shut us off. Right, right. And, and I think, uh, thank you for that. I think a lot of uh, Singaporeans maybe do not appreciate uh, that, that there are really some things that are no-go areas in other countries. I can imagine in Thailand, for instance, anything monarchy, <laughs> that's off limits, right? And, and it's really scary, right, uh, at times. So it's, it's not easy being a, a journalist in Asia, right? What about in Singapore? Was, was there censorship? Or if not censorship, did you get into trouble from time to time? 
The short answer is yes. Uh, I mean, censorship. Uh, remember, we are a country that's uh, that started only in 1965. We're not an old country, and we inherited many things from the era of Lee Kuan Yew, which was basically top down. And during his time, the relationship between the political uh, leaders and the media were very, very close. So uh, we inherited that. During Goh Chok Tong's time, it was slightly better. But today, the scene is quite different. I think uh, social media has in many ways changed that. We, every one of us navigates social media. And I think the situation also changed because of how many opposition uh, seats uh, the opposition won in parliament. So that also changed how uh, the government looked at uh, media. But change was social media. Today, I think I was just watching the midterm elections uh, on CNN. And I can tell you this, uh, it is no longer about censorship. It's about who has the more accurate version of the news. So right. if you watch Fox News, for instance, you watch a version of America. If you watch CNN, for instance, you watch another version of America. Right. Uh, so there is censorship and there's fake news. You right. to be exposed as much as possible so that you, you have a more accurate uh, sense of what is news. Right. Uh, how, how do you feel? I mean, this is... I don't know whether this is off-topic, or but since you mentioned CNN, how do you feel when you watch CNN? I feel very frustrated. They are almost unwatchable. I mean, we know that about Fox News, right? They are very clear about their ideological, ideological agenda, right? Uh, so, I mean, and I try to watch Fox News, but it's infuriating. But at least they are honest about who they are. Right? CNN says they are neutral and non-partisan, but it's not, right? It's, there is a partisan agenda, right? How do you feel when you watch? I think CNN represents uh, many of the Americans and even foreigners that we meet in Singapore. In other words, they have the sense, they, they think they are impartial. They think they, are, they have the correct version of the world. So you're right. When you watch Fox News, as, at least they are very clear of who they support. But on CNN, just now I was watching uh, the analysis of the midterm uh, elections. Everyone else was pro-Democrat. And they occasionally allowed the pro-Republican uh, talk. But really, they were all Democratic supporters. Many sources of news as possible. I think that's our only way to have a more impartial and objective view of the world. Right. Thank you so much. I think, I think that's really useful. So, Professor Chiran George has talked about a culture of self-censorship in Singapore, right? So, it's in the media, but also among the population. So, a lot of times, uh, there isn't even overt censorship, right? It's just editors or journalists and even the populace. They sort of self-censor themselves because maybe they are unsure where the OB markers are or maybe they are afraid themselves. Did you experience that throughout your experience? I mean, you have many, many years as a journalist. Do you think that is a fair assessment that the culture of self-censorship uh, is prevalent in Singapore? So you're talking about Singapore? Yeah, Singapore. Yeah. That, uh, I would say that, uh, as what I said earlier on, because we inherit 
this uh, very top-down uh, era under Lee Kuan Yew, that, that element of self-censorship is very difficult to uh, extricate ourselves from because we are so used to uh, what to say and what not to say. And honestly, also because we live in a multiracial, multi-religious culture, it's not just political self-censorship, it's also cultural and religious self-censorship. We become very careful of, of what we can say and what we cannot say. Uh, but I'll say this, the era of top-down uh, leadership under Lee Kuan Yew, for instance, and I, I think it also produced some very, very good journalists. Uh, I think they fought back, they um, tried to push back. Some of them lose their jobs, you know. So, for instance, Peter Lim, I mean, he lost his job while doing his book. He lost uh, his job as the editor of The Straits Times while doing his job. And uh, I don't know whether you read Chong Yip Singh's book on... I did, yeah. I think he was very clear of how, what, he, what, what he had in mind when he was doing his job, you know. And he made it very plain that there was a very strong... Uh, finger in every media platform at that time. You know? So I would say that uh, that that strong period, uh, that, that strong culture of, of, of self-censorship also engendered some very good people. Uh, Peter Lim, Chong um, Yipsen, Tian Baoji, whom I had the privilege of writing the book for. These were the product of that time. Today, I think uh, self-censorship is more diluted because of social media, because of um, representation in parliament, and because the, young, the youngsters don't understand censorship the way the older generation understood it. And uh, so the, the pause that we also need to adjust to this. Right. Thank you. That, that's fascinating stuff. And I, I, I have read that book. And as I was reading that book, I, I'm thinking about, wow, like, what, what happened to journalism along the way? It seems like there was more censorship, though, but there was more pushback from, yeah. from journalists and editors. And, and it was... Other the top pushes down, there is a, a kind of reaction. The, 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 the bottom right. pushes up, you see. So, but today, because there's not that much pushed down because they, they assume that it's, it's understood. Right. Uh, we don't have journalists like Peter Lim. We don't have journalists like Chong Yip Singh. We don't have journalists like PN Baoji. Right. Okay. Thank you. That's, that's a good segue, right? So how do you think CNA has evolved from the first time you conceptualized it? Although, uh, although you did say there, is no grad, there was no grand plan, how do you think it has evolved over the years? I, I think CNA is uh, in a good place. Uh, why do I say that? CNA started out by being video journalism. Today, all media platforms, whether you're print or you're video, has to have video, journal, uh, video right. offerings. So, uh, and therefore, CNA had a very good head start. If you are generally, no one could rival uh, CNA. They, they, were in a, in, in a class of their own. 
Um, so I would say uh, the other media has converged to what CNN is doing. Uh, so the, the, the real competition to CNN today, I would say, is mothership. You know? And but even then, they are not a real competition because they don't have the studios, they don't have the institutional knowledge. It's evolved and it's, it's evolved quite well. Right. Uh, I think CNA is a uh, is is an amazing uh, addition to the to the media scene, and it has gained credibility throughout the region. Right, it's not just in Singapore. Right, and um, would you say it's the most trusted source of news in Singapore? Uh, no, I, I I don't know which source is the most trusted. Yeah, I think uh, I think there are very, very many um, sources. Coming in, but if you look at, if you want to say, if you want to talk about regional news, uh, I would say that uh, Channel News Asia is the most uh, tapped into news in the region. It's trusted by many, many Asian countries, but I think some Western um, news institutions in Asia would. Uh, not want to admit that they consider CNA an equal, but uh, I would say on many platforms, CNA is an equal. Right. I, I would say so as well. And I think uh, CNA is trusted also because it has not go gone down the route of CNN uh, or MSNBC, for instance, right? And I think it's clear that you're getting news, right? You're not getting opinion journalism, which is fine as well. I think there's a place for it. Yeah, but... People, when people want the news, they go to CNA, right? Yeah. That's what you want, right? and because you're a news channel, when they come to you for news, you know you're happy. Right, exactly, exactly. Right. So you have also been a journalist in Myanmar, right? And you have you have a lot of experience in the region, right? Can you share a little bit about your experience uh, in Myanmar? Because of my channel news exp uh, channel news Asia experience. I was asked to start a news channel in Myanmar 13 years ago, and it's called MITV. Uh, and uh, two and a half, three, two and a half, three years ago, I was again asked to uh, go back to Myanmar uh, to start another uh, channel, an, an entertainment channel called Channel K. Uh, in terms of entertainment, uh, Myanmar is not bad, but there's no journalism in Myanmar. Uh, Way back in uh, 13 years ago, when MITV started, uh, it was entertainment and military news. Um, today, because of the recent coup, it's worse. It's gone back to the years of 2008, and therefore, I would say that uh, the channel I started has reverted to military programming. So, it has been good experience while I was there, but it's an unfortunate and bad situation now because of what happened. Right. So when you say there's no journalism, is it only they do not allow reporting locally? or So you are free to report about anywhere else in the region? Uh, Myanmar, uh, Myanmar, is, uh, Myanmar News is not interested in regional news. Right. 
So, because Myanmar is a very big country. Right. Uh, so when they report news, they report festivals, they report uh, social events, they report what the military are doing. Um, but uh, that's why I say there's no journalism uh, as such compared to, say, uh, the rest of the region. Even uh, uh, Laos and, and, and Vietnam are much better. Oh, are they? Are they? Is, is Laos better than Myanmar yeah. in this? So Laos is communist, but it's not military. Right, right. Okay. Interesting. Thank you so much. So is that pushback from people from the activist type uh, in Myanmar and maybe journalists who, who see themselves as activists and they want to push the boundaries? Is there such a thing? There are a few uh, very under uh, social uh, media online platforms that have started. And they, they have started as a way of revolting and uh, fighting back the military. But uh, it's sporadic and intermittent. It's not uh, strong or forceful. Um, they borrow their satellites from Thailand. They borrow their satellites from Europe. So there have been or there have been some, some sites that provide alternative information uh, for the Myanmar people when they have internet. So one of the reasons why now the uh, Myanmar military is so afraid of the internet is because of this so-called subversive uh, element. But I'll tell you something about Myanmar. In Myanmar, social media, especially Facebook and Instagram, especially Facebook, particularly Facebook, is the only way that people communicate because they don't believe in any official military uh, platforms. So Facebook is the only way they communicate. And many of them use what they do to tell other people of their news. It got to a point where if it's not in social media, if it's not on Facebook, it's not happened. it has not happened. Right. Uh, in, people don't understand it, but Facebook is TV. Facebook is where people get their news. Wow, fascinating, fascinating. So they don't, uh, they don't use WhatsApp. They use WhatsApp, uh, but they, they use WhatsApp to exchange uh, videos. They use uh, WhatsApp. When uh, during the, the, the military coup on, in February last year, uh, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of videos being exchanged on WhatsApp. Right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, are young people in Myanmar different from young people in Singapore? From your experience, uh, they are a lot more hungry. Uh, young people in Myanmar because of um, they, they're very hungry to learn. They're very hungry to learn English. Oh, uh, their English aren't good. Their, their English isn't good, but they try it, uh, very hard to learn. You know, and through Facebook, through Instagram, they also try to expand their friendship to other countries, so that they have friends in Singapore, they have friends in 
and most of them, some of them are very uh, naked about what they need. I need to learn English. Somewhat sad, but it's also inspiring. And right, thank you. Fascinating stuff. Right, I think you are a survivor, right, to be able to be a journalist in, in Singapore, in Myanmar. It's amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. So let's let's move on, right? So you have sort of uh, ventured into a different realm, uh, career path, <laughs> if you can call it that. So yeah, a best-selling author now. So how has it been writing books uh, versus your experience in CNA? What are the similarities? What's the differences? What are the differences? You you are always on. <laughs> you are you know they, they can they can get you anytime uh, because uh, crisis may happen. Uh, so that part of CNA I don't miss. I, I budget a few hours a day to write, um, and I would say writing, uh, being a being working in CNA is like the headlines. <laughs> working in uh, writing books is like doing producing documentaries. Uh, one media, the other one is long form. I prefer to write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, so let's get to that, right? So, uh, did you know? I mean, I, I mean, obviously, you, uh, you are in the scene. So, you and uh, Mister Yon, George, you knew each other. But, uh, what was one thing or a few things that really you found out in the process of writing the book that that surprised you? For oh. both Valji and. Uh, George, you. Okay. Uh, writing a book is a is a very very long event, <laughs> and uh, you have to be focused. Uh, you have to. So, if you want to write, you need to budget a few hours a day to write. So many of my friends don't understand. You mean every day you are not free? I said no, no, no. Uh, this time of day I'm not free. You know. Um, so the consistency you, you need to develop a certain uh, momentum. So the, the, the momentum is is good. For instance, when I uh, had weekly meetings with Baoji, when I have weekly meetings with uh, Giorgio, Giorgio is quite a different story. But when I have weekly meetings. You need to sort of, when you are done with that meeting, you need to come back and try to write a, a first draft of it, you know. Uh, and even though it's a slow burn, you need to have very strong discipline. So, this is what I understand about, uh, because I, I was not a very, um, what should I say, I was not a regular writer until I left Myanmar. And right. since I have uh, written so, and writing about Bauji um, uh, in particular, you know, uh, you think you know someone, <laughs> sit down and talk to them, and talk to them, and talk to them, and you realize that there are things about them that you never knew. Same with, but Giorgio himself. The, the format with Giorgio is, is Q&A, you know? So, uh, in many ways, Giorgio's book, Giorgio wrote, wrote his own book. I think it's very difficult to find someone like him 
where there's such depth and such breadth. So I would say that with Giorgio, really an inspiration to the book. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating, you know, and he, I mean, you were, you were there, right, when the first thing he, he asked me was, yeah, first thing he asked me, are you, are you, I, he, we started talking about my name and, and exactly what you said, right, the breadth and depth of his knowledge. And it's, it's very rare, I think, to have a politician who's also an intellectual. And I think for all intents and purposes, he is an intellectual. And that's why in the books that, uh, volume volumes two and three are coming out, of course. But there's so so many topics that he's talking about, and not not everybody can deal with those topics. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, but I mean his command of of the issues, right? I think it's it's quite extraordinary, right? And that must have made writing the book harder, right? No, no, no. I think that that, that makes the books. Uh, but uh, like I said, Giorgio wrote his own book because. That was his mind. You're there as a witness. I was there as a witness. And uh, um, series one, Musing, of course, is a bestseller, you know. But I say series two is better. Yeah. Wow. Series three is the best. Wow. Why? Series two is better because series two travels the world. And series two also talked about his, his very traumatic and dramatic episodes where three of his family members went through cancer treatment. You know, and it was you're at, you're on the edge of your bed, uh, edge of your seat, reading. You know, and but I would say the best book would be series three because it, it is. Not only Y and D, but it is also abstract. Uh, there's a chap there are two chapters on Lee Kuan Yew, and there, there's a chapter on God, there's a chapter on Tai Chi, there's a chapter on calligraphy. So it's, uh, it's slightly different from the first two books. All I would say is, it was, I was very fortunate to be in my position with job here. Right. Wow, you're really setting up for people to buy the book already. <laughs> also a marketeer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very good one, if I may add. Uh, so, uh, moving, like, look, we, we've, we've already spoken for about 35 minutes. Very, very fascinating stuff. So, let's, let's try to wrap up within 10 minutes or so, right? So, there are a lot of alternative media outlets, right? You mentioned Mothership just now, right? So what's your assessment of the online media scene in Singapore? And if I could also uh, ask you to comment on the latest entry uh, or entrant, uh, which is Joe Media, right? And do you see uh, anybody breaking the Mothership stranglehold, right? Or you say maybe Rice Media has sort of uh, establish itself as well, right? But do you see anyone coming into this into this market? I, I think the, the, the situation is fluid, and uh, what why uh, mothership has quickly uh, taken a, a, a stranglehold is because they are they are focused on 
younger younger people. This is they're even faster than Channel News Asia. If you visit them, you realize that uh, they are very, relatively small outfit. They they will tell you, oh, but Taiwan, we are not into long long analysis. You know, they sort of kind of got a grip of what the media out there needs or the media consumers out there need. You know, so they are they have a studio. They do uh, they do video. They are also on Facebook. They are also on Instagram. So I would say it's difficult to uh, undo what Channel News Asia has started. But mothership is finding another niche. Right. Would you say it's it's slightly different though, because um, or maybe very different, right? Because mothership is more willing to engage in quote unquote more frivolous. Uh, stuff right or light-hearted maybe <laughs> light-hearted is the word as opposed to channel news asia and do you think that's the way to go and do you think that's actually a good thing for consumers of news right would we start to think that oh all news should be like this and it shouldn't be heavy shouldn't be serious shouldn't be intellectual but it should be no i, I think uh that's why i say channel news asia channel news asia is in a good place you know have a physical channel that they need to use, but they also do light news. They also do long, uh, long form news. You know, never have the uh, wherewithal and experience to do that, and that's why they what they do. But channel news issue should never forego what they are strong in, and that's real news, document current affairs. But they also have stuff to rival uh, mothership. Mothership only has this uh, thought. Uh, quick news, you know. Channel News Asia have a lot, has a lot. Uh, I would not say that they coexist because I think Channel News Asia uh, sits on a very comfortable high chair, whereas uh, I think Mothership is just very fast. Over time, Mothership will need to. Uh, not just go fast, but actually go deep, a little deeper. Because you can't continue to just do this. Because everyone is doing this. Right, right, right. Don't go a slightly deeper, you will be like everyone else. See, so right. and, and is that, is that the, the structural cause of Straits Times failure, right? Because Straits Times by nature, I mean, you report it the next day and you write longer form articles, right? Whereas... If you wanted something immediately from Channel News Asia, a lot of times I get things from Channel News Asia already, right? Before I get from Straits Times or whatever it is. Do you think structurally Straits Times is at a disadvantage? Straits Times Achilles heel is print. And uh, print has been its... It was defined by print. So it took a long, long time for Straits Times to get out of that mode. And by the time they do... By the time they almost did, all the others have gone so far ahead. Right. I recently did an uh, interview with uh, Straits Times. Uh, I, 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 I saw an interview with Straits Times, doing an interview with, uh, on Giorgio. It was, it was a, a television production number. But I was just observing. And I realized that they are actually quite far behind. You know? 
it was a television uh, production. So I would say the recent change at the top for SPH was to see if they could revamp the whole thing so that element of people who, you know, they, they have put people in there that, that only visual and visual media. They don't know the print. You, know? you need those people who go in there and who just completely revamp the, uh, the, the, the institution because they will do away with things that no, no longer are relevant. Right. So, I mean, uh, I'm sure uh, no matter what, the, the quality of ST's production was better than my own interview with uh, George. <laughs> it was literally one phone and one stand. <laughs> but it was... Maybe you're the future. <laughs> no, but it was a fun interview. I think more fun than the Straits Times interview, <laughs> which I saw, uh, I saw as well. And I, I thought it was a... Uh, it was a, and I guess one of the things also about the mainstream media is almost there is a mole. There is a mole that is very difficult to get out of, right? Even when I was seeing the interview, like it's very serious. It's very, uh, when actually George, uh, he's very open to you know a more like arted uh, format and mode, right? Yeah. yeah. So I I feel like it's get. Do you think it's possible? You mentioned that uh, this uh, remaking or remodeling of SPH. Do you think it's possible for Straits Times to, to never mind uh, regain its glory days, but to match Channel News Asia, for instance? Oh, I, I, I don't think the people in there uh, would trace it the way they do, because they still consider themselves quite somebody. And uh, I will tell you this, uh, the government will never allow Straits Times to fail. That's true. Yeah. That it is an institution that preceded Singapore. Agreed, yeah. Find ways to improve, uh, find ways to uh, be better. So, I, in fact, I would say Channel News Asia, watch out because uh, uh, they will do something. I don't know what, but they will do something to make themselves relevant again. Yeah, I, I completely agree with. And I guess that Straits Times' uh, biggest strength, right? That uh, it is uh, that the government will not allow. It's too big to fail. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so so just a final series of questions, right? So you have met many people throughout your life, right? Many politicians, and this is a political show, right? So which politicians have surprised you, for better or for worse? <laughs> Locally, internationally? I, I, I would say uh, Margaret Thatcher and Lee Kuan Margaret Thatcher to Singapore, I was putting the interview... Uh, Kenneth Liang was the interviewer and he looked at me and he said, I will not sit on this chair. And I said, oh, why? <laughs> uh, I just need something that has a stiff back. <laughs> so, so the thing is, stiff backs, you know. And the thing is, when she sat down and she didn't prepare, she didn't do anything. And when Kenneth asked the question, if you... When she didn't want to answer, she just, just looked at Kenneth. She <laughs> you know? oh. uh, says, uh, I will, and she just answered something that was completely different from the question that uh, Kenneth asked. So, one of the first things I learned is you can ignore the question. <laughs> 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 you want to give, you know? 
But the person that did it very well uh, was uh, Lee Kuan Yew. I followed him uh, one year. Uh, I think there were a few of us, uh, Sumiko, Fok Kwang and myself. We, we went to uh, Pakistan. Yeah? And he, was, uh, he had a very private session with uh, Benazir and Nawaz Sharif. But the, the amount of information that he had, the, his analytical mind, you saw Nawaz Sharif. I mean, uh, Nawaz Sharif was in power at that time, but he made it a point to see not just Nawaz Sharif, but also Benazir Bhutto, because he knew that it was a rotating uh, political scene. You could see both Nawaz Sharif and Benazir Bhutto listening to him like he was a teacher. You know, here, he, here was this guru that, he, that they want to listen to. I mean, I didn't know that. I didn't know that the respect that people had for him was so deep and so strong. You know, that, that, that politicians from around the world, I mean, these were just representative, that they would listen to him and they would take counsel and instructions from him. Right. And, and you've never seen this uh, replicated with any other? No, I, I see some of it in Giorgio. Uh, in a sense that there are many people who would ask Giorgio what he thought, what right. he think, uh, and would be blown away by what Giorgio had, had to say, you know. But not in a way that Lee Kuan Yew does it. I mean, he has an audience. These are, these are two politicians that uh, one day, if I, I may, especially Lee Kuan Yew, you know, one day I may write something about it. You know? Right. I hope you do. I hope you do. I'm sure it'll be another bestseller, right? So final question, I promise, right? So if a young person wants to be a journalist in Singapore today, right? what would your advice be to that person? Be a journalist. Uh, a journalist is a good uh, profession because it keeps you on your toes. Uh, it keeps you relevant. It keeps you current. Uh, and I'm no longer the person that can give them advice. I would just tell them to... Because you, you, we are we are no longer as relevant as they are. You know, uh, we come with we come with baggage. Uh, so I would not give them advice. I'll just ask them to to explore it. You know, and be a new kind of journalist. Uh, I think someone like you who has a uh, has a program like this is innovative. It is uh, your own. Not many people can have their own talk show. So you. They may start something else on another platform. So, being a journalist is is to be on the cutting edge. Being a journalist is to be fascinated by events around you. Uh, right. On that very flattering note, thank you so much, Taiho. I really appreciate. I think it's really it's you have a wealth of uh, wisdom to share on the media, and I'm sure you can you can write your own book about the media, right? And I and I think you should, you know. Uh, actually, are you considering it? <laughs> yes, about your experience, you know, writing in, in the media, in the region. and why, Actually, why not? Why haven't you written that book? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't reach a point where I will write about myself. <laughs> Alright, Taiho, thank you so much. This was fascinating. And good night. And I'll share the link with you later. Okay, good night everyone. Bye-bye.